I just felt like <laughs> they were actually having sex. I mean, they were actually having sex. Well, the the straight scene with Thomas near the start of the film the is very, having very sex. full on. Totally, and, you know, there's a we see a, an erect penis, a penis shot. Which I, is that? I mean, what's what certificate are you supposed to have for an erect penis shot? Um, I think you have to be eighteen. 18. Okay, yeah. rated R in America. Okay, so I thought it wasn't allowed. <laughs> I thought it wasn't allowed. I wasn't. Sh- I was like, oh. Which we tried to pause on the erect penis as well. <laughs> we missed that. <laughs> it is a very fleeting erect it's penis, it has fleeting. to be said. Hey everyone and welcome to this episode of Flitzwater Podcast. Today I'm joined by Rosie. Hello. Viv. Hi. And as always, Helen. Hello. And we're going to be talking about blue is the warmest colour. Thank you, as always, to the mighty people for the mighty, mighty tunes. And thanks to Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. Please do remember to write a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts anywhere you can do where you listen to the podcast because it really does help us. And you can join in the conversation with us on Twitter at FlixWatcherPod and on Instagram at FlixWatcher. Hello, film fans. Welcome to this episode of FlixWatcher Podcast. In our studio today, we have Rosie and Viv. If you would like to say hello to our listeners and tell them about the work you do, please. Hello, I'm Rosie Wilby. I'm a comedian, author of the book Is Monogamy Dead? and host of the podcast The Breakup Monologues, which is a chat show about love, relationships and all of that kind of stuff with guests, including our co-guest today, Viv Groskop, also Richard Herring, Dolly Alderton, lots of fab people. And uh, we do tend to record those live at King's Place, but there's one just out with uh, Katie Brand and Miranda Sawyer recorded live at Port Elliot Festival and live events coming up at King's Place throughout the autumn as well. So hopefully by the time you record with this goes out, we should be still available to get some tickets for King's Place. Oh, so yes, where, so, indeed. So where do they so go to get 11th tickets? of October and 8th of November, kingsplace.co.uk. And there's also a show at Oxford Science and Ideas Festival on the 23rd of October. And we're talking 2019 in case you come. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, whenever we go to a podcast and talk about a show or something's happening, you're like, which year are you talking about? You don't, <laughs> just helps. Um, so I mean, I'll try and book them again for every year. For next year, yeah. same dates. Same dates, yeah. Is the best place to find them on the King's Place website or do you have a website where people can go to? Uh, so? We also have breakupmonologues.wordpress.com and an Instagram at breakupmonologues. Cool. And who are you? Who are you? Hi, I'm Viv Groskop. I'm a comedian and the author of a book called How to Own the Room, Women and the Art of Brilliant Speaking, which has also grown into uh, a top 10 iTunes podcast where I interview women from all different walks of life about what they do to own the room. So it's everybody from Nigella Lawson to Mary Portas, Mary Beard, Catherine Tate, Mira Sayal, this amazing 27-year-old tech speaker called Anne-Marie Imafidon, who got a maths GCSE when she was nine Yikes. and is now one of the world's most popular um, speakers. She's absolutely amazing. And I talked to them about how you overcome nerves, where you get your confidence from, how you put a speech together, and we really geek out about all that stuff. I feel you need to get uh, Greta Thunberg on there. Oh, I'm desperate. I would <laughs> kill to get Greta. And Malala as well. I've tried to contact Greta and said, Greta, I will walk I will walk to you. Uh, I won't use any fossil fuels whatsoever <laughs> in my quest to read night. I will swim Greta across to Sweden. Is a, well, Greta's a really interesting person, actually, because it's because of that new wave of speakers that actually started with uh, Michelle Obama and all of the women who've had incredible TED Talks, like Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie, who had mm-hmm. a viral TED Talk about feminism. That new wave, a new way of looking at speaking, that uh, Greta really embodies that, has really inspired people to start thinking about how they could be more out there sure. and that you don't have to be some kind of really stuffy politician or be like some sort of Etonian orator to be a good speaker. Fantastic. Well, um, what's the name of the podcast again? It's called How to Own the Room. Fantastic. We'll get onto that and talk a bit about that, I guess, in the in this course of this. But we, we're talking today about Blue is the Warmest Colour, which is your choice, Rosie. It is indeed. Um, can you tell us why you chose it and give us a two-minute synopsis? 
Okay, well, Blue is the Warmest Colour is a three-hour French film, which was the Palme d'Or winner at Cannes Film Festival in 2013. And it tells the passionate love story between teenager Adele and aspiring painter with the striking blue hair, Emma. And it spans six years from Adele's school years to her early career as a teacher. And I was really glad to revisit this film because I think it's a captivating, beautifully shot portrayal of just how painful desire can be. And I feel, speaking as a gay woman, that it captures a particular and peculiar kind of intensity and intimacy that happens between women in romantic relationships that can veer towards being rather destructive and I was really pleased to watch it at home for the first time with my girlfriend because the first time I'd watched it and the only other time I'd watched it I was in a press screening because I was going to be talking about it on an LGBT radio show that I do on Resonance FM and so I was in a room full of men Mm. and it was really weird watching lesbian sex that's quite full on um, and be forced to think of it in the context of the male gaze, whereas watching it at home with my girlfriend was a real hoot. And we we did press pause several times to fully clothed uh, try out some of the positions. Um, <laughs> so I might have changed... <laughs> So, it might have changed my take on scissoring now. I always thought it definitely wouldn't work and you'd have to do a sort of backflip off the chest of drawers or something. But um, we were like did a kind of impromptu game of Twister and I was like, right, I'll be the femme one, of course, and you'll be the one with blue hair and I've got my leg like this and, and you've got your leg through there and we were trying to work out if the positions would work. Um, I'm, st- I'm still not totally convinced. And I still think that that it's quite, it's quite creative and... Um, confident kind of sex that they have even from mm. the get-go I'm, I'm not absolutely sure that if you're a teenager finding your way with your sexuality as I was once that that you would really go all in right away but um, I do think the rest of the film um, is this kind of brilliant brilliant passionate love story that I I really enjoyed and I do think one of the sex scenes has disappeared which I was sort of rather glad about because I remembered a spanking scene which a lot of people write about the spanking scene if you google blue is the warmest colour spanking loads of people are like oh that's a bit of a silly scene and I couldn't take that one seriously and that has disappeared which is rather interesting so do feel free to talk about breakup monologues when, you know, refer to your podcast and stuff in like this, because this you have a bit of insight into relationships and there how they break up. There wasn't any spanking when I went on the breakup monologue. Was it not? Well, I did write in my book, Is Monogamy Dead? I did uh, talk about my adventures in the lesbian sauna, which was purely a research trip, of course. Um, but there was a room where there was some spanking going on. Um, but but not it's not one of my particular fetishes, I must say. Um but yeah, I am particularly interested in this film because I think that there's um, that there often is a kind of burnout in lesbian relationships. I mean, I've studied all the statistics of kind of breakups and divorces and separations, and actually, lesbians separate at three or four times the rate that gay men do. Now that we've got kind of divorce stats for for same sex couples, and um, so so actually, once kind of divorce rates settle down for for gay couples and for straight couples lesbians are sort of predicted to rise to the top of the divorce charts right. most divorces even in heterosexual relationships are initiated by women um, and there's kind of an unacknowledged romantic restlessness between women and we tend to find it quite difficult to be long-term monogamous even though in the short term we're quite monogamous and lesbians tend to be quite serially monogamous it's quite typical this film I think in showing this very very passionate connection that is almost immediate that then kind of burns out when the two people haven't it turns out got perhaps all that much in common in their sort of worldviews and and then they kind of go their separate ways but there's still a deep intense connection and many lesbians do kind of stay close with their exes because um those connections i think for for gay women often never die and you know I'm, I meet many older lesbians and have interviewed many of them for my work who say that you know your best friend can be your ex-partner but perhaps not if there's been such an intense sexual connection that's tricky to navigate I think but I, I do love the um, the scene in, in the cafe where it's a couple of years since they've seen each other and Adele is clearly still deeply in love and very hurt and very upset 
um, and Emma has to some extent moved on and it, it's just heartbreaking but I have been that woman in the cafe um, you've been the Adele so, you've been Adele in the cafe sorry Adele in the yeah. cafe who did I say no you just said that woman oh, so that just woman. make, just uh, make yeah, sure that, I, I have been Adele in the cafe yes crying and uh, <laughs> yeah you know not just not over that person Helen what were your thoughts um, so I saw this at the cinema when it came out um, back in 2013 and I loved it I thought it was brilliant um, there's just so many amazingly wonderful things about it. Um, I, one of my favourite scenes is where just Adele is eating spaghetti. Um, I just think it's a really brilliant sort of snapshot of a very ordinary life. Um, and then obviously she meets Emma and everything changes and mm. it becomes very vibrant and exciting. I think the two actresses in it are amazing and it's just a really colourful, honest film. However, obviously, sort of stories that came out after mm. it. Um, marred your opinion. Yeah. Not more my opinion, but watching it again, having heard all that, it, it was a little bit different. And then I was also reading that, um, is it Julie Maron? Marrow? The, the, the source material was... Oh, yes, a that bit was a graphic novel, wasn't it? Yeah, she, she wasn't very happy that um, two straight actresses were the leads. She was sort of like, they have not found any lesbian actresses to play the parts. Mm. So when you you hear things like that, you're a bit like, oh, but I but I did really enjoy this piece of art that is mm. a fictional piece of work. But that it is is kind of hard to separate how you feel about that um, with sort of the realities that go around it as well. I thought you were going to lead out with the because Rosie led out with it, it's three hour long and time for you is tends to be a big <laughs> a big problem for films. But you haven't, you haven't commented on it so far. No, I mean, it is th three hours long, um, but then it, it's six six years of someone's life. Yeah. yeah. And it, it does go at a very slow pace. And you do get at the start of the film that you are hanging around with this teenage girl. And when they're talking with their friends and the very naive conversations that they're having about sex, mm. it's it feels very real and very... I mean, her friends teenage. when she's at school. Yeah, when yeah. she's at school. Sure. Um, and then how she changes woman and what happens to her after the relationship happens as well, ends as well. Mm. Viv, have you seen this before? This I had not seen this film before and I was very excited when <laughs> Rosie said, we, because I thought we were going to be watching um, Three Colours Blue, ah. his last film, which fortunately I didn't watch. I actually looked up the right thing. And weirdly, this film kind of passed me by when it came out in 2013, because normally... Um, I don't want to say I'd be on top of this kind of thing, but I would be on top of this kind of thing. So I was quite surprised that I hadn't seen it. And I came to it fairly um, open-minded. Like I, As soon as I saw vague premise of it, I re and I, because I know Rosie as a friend, I thought it would have some lesbian action in it. Um, but, it was Rosie, um, Rosie again. But, but I, and I, my preconception was that this was going to be about what it's like to be 16, 17, 18 and be trying to work out what your sexuality is, which very nominally and superficially it is. However, <laughs> because it, there's so much more going on in, in this film and the background to it that Helen suggested, which is actually so much worse than you've said, and I'll go into that. Um, I think this is an absolutely terrible film. <laughs> um, it. I was really disturbed from the beginning to look at uh, the Adele. Sure. So in, in French, it's called La Vie d'Adèle. So the life of Adèle. And Adèle is... Chapters name, one and two. Well, it's the yes. name of the character, but yeah. it's also the name of the actress. It is, mm. yes. And that in itself is always creepy. I th <laughs> well, I think, right? And I looked at her and I was just watching her play this role. And it's... the. The way that the director films it is fascinating and that is what if you... I don't think this is art. I think it's soft porn. But <laughs> if you think it's art, that's what makes it art is how he gets right up... When there's no mm. sex going on, he gets right up in their face mm. and captures every nuance mm. of emotion and that's very unusual. And as soon as I saw that, I just thought, that's so intrusive. Mm. How old is that girl? 
Mm-hmm. And I looked up and she was 17 during the filming. That's um, Adele ex who was she was 17 and Leia Sidhu was 27. Mm-hmm. And although she is 17, she looks 13. She looks, yeah. it's very disturbing. And I already felt very um, uncomfortable about the level of intrusion even before the 13-minute sex scene <laughs> she timed it um, well it is famously known as 13 minute sex scene is it it's not 13 minutes one go though is it it's like i think it's been it's, i think the sex scenes have been cut because they were much longer when i watched it the first time around um and i think something has been cut oh a little God, bit I because it was, the spanking I think it was 16 is minutes gone. i think originally in the Maybe mm. like three minutes of spanking is a bit too much for anybody. <laughs> anyway, but anyway, so he, the director um, Abdelatif Kashish, mm. is I'm a glad very. You've taken on the, you've taken on the, the, the yeah. good names. Here. Well, Thank you. Yeah, I know. He, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm happy to take those names. on. He has a very controversial reputation in mm. French cinema, and this film really nailed, no pun intended, that reputation. <laughs> he. He took 800 hours of film to mm. get to this three hours. Yeah. And there was a lot of talk about how the two actresses had felt very uncomfortable during the filming. And Leia Sadu said in one interview that she felt like a prostitute. She um, has since kind of toned that down a she lot, has hasn't toned she? It down, but she's, and she, she said she's very said proud of the film. That he treated us badly, but it resulted in a good film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he has since been caught up in Me Too type allegations, which okay. he's denied. Mm. Um, the last one came out in October of last year and is ongoing as an investigation. And he's known for getting actresses to do non-simulated sex scenes. And mm. they they said, quote, it was horrible and, quote, they were forced to perform. Mm. And what I felt really ruined this film for me when it could have actually been something quite beautiful And as you said, you know, the original author of the graphic novel, she wanted it to be with gay actresses. Perhaps it had been with a gay director. It would have been completely different. I felt the whole scene was seen through the eyes of a dirty old man. Well, I think think that is the problem. I tried to remove myself from the stuff that I'd read years ago at the time, because, of course, that does colour your opinion of it. And I just wanted to look at it as a film, as a piece of art. And I do think it works very, very well on that level. But... Of course, that is the huge question mark that hangs over this film. It would be completely different had it been directed by a woman or even better, a gay woman. But I watch tons and tons of lesbian films at the BFI Flair Festival every year. I'm lucky enough to get a press pass every year and talk about a lot of films on the radio and in the press and stuff. And most of the lesbian films I see are made for tiny, tiny budgets, Mm. really rough around the edges, wonderfully spirited kind of films but you know they don't look like this so for me you know on the one hand it's great to see some money being put into a lesbian love story and actually you know people actually getting used to the fact that yeah women fall in love and kiss and have sex Um, but on the other hand of course it's a shame that the, the films that get the money are are often directed by men even you know some of the much less controversial films like carol or something which is you know a beautiful film but that's directed by a man as well um so you know, the only one i was thinking of recently of recent years was um the miseducation of cameron post oh well yeah Desiree Desiree Akavan. Akavan. yeah oh my goodness she is just awesome she's a legend i've interviewed her yeah um i so uh, when you when you suggested this i was like my first kind of thought was Oh, it's three hours long. I don't because I saw it. I, I, I saw it when it came out. I think you had lots of fanfare coming out of of out of Cannes. Um, and I went to see it at the cinema. Um, and I was like, I do remember the sex scenes being longer. Mm. And then and then thinking, oh, another one. Yeah, oh, okay. I not have watched this at the cinema. Um, <laughs> so when you suggested this, I wasn't that keen, but I thought you know it's been six years since I saw it, so it's worth yeah. revaluation. Um, and maybe the sex scenes are have been diminished, but I was I don't know for some reason I just expected that it was almost like a three hour sex romp is what I had in my head. But it is so much it's different so to that. So much more than that. Um, and I didn't I didn't kind of the disparity in the ages didn't appear to me so much because I think Leia Sadu doesn't look so old, so the kind of age difference doesn't mm-hmm. look so much. Adele Adele ex in this I think adele her character gets such a rough ride from every single person that she comes across she gets rough ride from her friends for just going to a gay bar in the first place she yeah. gets a rough ride from uh the only person thinking of a rough ride was the guy she got together with at the start really and yes. her and, her, and her, her gay best friend her friends at school gave her a rough ride her parents 
we didn't see what happens uh whether we found out if she came out to them but they gave a rough ride or certainly would be close-minded of that um emma gave her a rough ride her friends gave her a rough ride for not like wanting to be just happy being a teacher and you kind of thought i just kind of felt really really sorry for her all the way through this film and she's just a young person going through these emotions which i i really can't remember but yeah, there's yeah, sometimes which yeah, are super, saying you super, can't remember, did you feel that the depiction of teenage life rang true? Because yes. for me, it didn't. For me, it like, absolutely does. Emotionally, yeah. but in the dialogue, when they're in the playground and saying, oh, have mm. you read the latest novel by Jean-Paul Sartre? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Like a lot of their conversation, it's it's all about, you know, this Marivaux novel that they're reading in class and Jean-Paul Sartre. And then, um, oh, uh, I don't know very much about painting, but I have heard of Picasso. And it <laughs> felt to me like, you know, a dialogue written by an old man in a in a in a dirty <laughs> raincoat who's putting this into the mouths of teenagers and their performances mm. which i think you know they were really really struggled to produce they clearly produced these uh, under a lot of pressure the performances are excellent yeah. you know and the reality of it and you know with the sound off and no dialogue it's it's so powerful it's incredibly beautiful mm. um but the, the script is so bad. I think the adults, kids talking as adults or like high uh, professor level adults is a trope that happens a lot in high school films. Yeah, it's it not, does. It's not particular it's to not this. exclusive to this. But I do think certain elements like the homophobia, you know, you're talking about her getting a rough ride from her friends when mm. she's been to the gay bar. That, um, that is absolutely true. You know, again, that that is absolutely reflective of my experience of the kind of things that, that would get said, the kind of, you know near escalation to violence that would always be present when you know that you are marked out as somebody different at school um that that is uh, feels absolutely true to me so i suppose i'm always going to kind of feel fairly passionate about a film that does depict coming out and being gay because that that is going to be in some ways very reflective of my experience which i don't often see on the big screen so uh, yeah i think it is authentic in in many ways and i think you're right it's very beautiful i mean i particularly love the scene where they're kissing in the park and the sun is kind of flaring on mm. the lens in between their faces i just think it's beautiful cinematography and yeah perhaps the dialogue in places the blue hair is extremely annoying also <laughs> i felt no. that in real life right. this character would not have blue hair there's no need to give Leia Sedu blue hair in order to match her eyes. What's it's, going on with her eyebrows as well? They, that looks strange. There's something about her eyebrows that I... I just, to me, the, the idea, it, it was a real fantasy of this older man who's thinking, <laughs> oh, if here is this 17-year-old girl, she's going to fall in love with this older girl and she's going to have <laughs> blue hair and they're going to go for a picnic. I mean, it really was, I was just, I was cringing. I feel you need to do that in a French accent to get the I mean, the source novel, them. What, one thing that's quite interesting you said, was it you, Helen, about the um, the the writer of the, of the graphic novel saying she felt it should have been featured two lesbian actors. That's something I haven't mm. really come across at that kind of point of view before. I, seen... I, I come across this discussion it, all well, the time. Well, the last two, three just... years, it's become a huge discussion. Not just... It's become a huge discussion, um, particularly around trans actors and trans yeah. roles. Um, I, I think people are actors. I mean, obviously, we want to see... Um, gay by trans actors um you know non-heteronormative actors getting a fair of the whip yeah. but i'd rather see them being stretched to play straight characters actually i think the lesbian actors i know that always get lesbian roles are a little bit hacked off with that i mean i present a radio show with heather peace who's you know tv actor and she just always plays a lesbian ever since she was in lip service and she's like well, you know, that's that's my lot now. No yeah, one don't thinks to, I can play straight. Cast. It's kind of ridiculous. Um, what was the name of the so, yeah. actor who played Juno? Ellen Page. Yeah, Ellen Page. Since she came out as lesbian, now more of her now roles. she's the, le the go-to lesbian, but she, she? But she used to have, the, I mean, like Inception, she has a fantastic role. Oh, that, brilliant role in that, That yeah. doesn't matter about her, her uh, sexuality. Um, but I've heard... I mean, we've talked about uh, in the film The Fundamentals of Caring where there's Craig Robertson who plays a disabled character in like... Couldn't that have been a disabled guy um, playing that playing that role? But the kind of gay versus uh, 
gay person play, playing a gay role. We haven't really had that. I've never, I've never come across that before. So it's quite interesting mm. to kind of evaluate that a little bit, I think. Um, I think with blue is the warmest co- colour. The problem is it's the layering of it. You know, the director is mm. problematic. The shoot was very problematic. It seems to me that nobody involved in it has had, had a good gay experiences or sure. can bring mm. that sensibility. It doesn't have to be everybody and it doesn't have to be a gay director. And of course, a, a director of any sexuality can bring an interesting sensibility to anything. But What you're saying, Viv, is they needed me as a, a special yes! consultant. <laughs> Scissoring consultant. <laughs> well, fully, they, clothed, what they fully clothed. They have that now yeah, with, fully with, all, uh, with a lot of TV shows and films nowadays that have... a like a sexuality consultant to make sure that everyone involved in it is comfortable oh, in the I'd first instance and also consultant. that things are portrayed on camera as they more realistic in those kind yeah. of intimate situations apart from just straight well, yeah, out porn not too realistic as well because i just felt like <laughs> they were actually having sex i mean they were actually having sex and i don't want to think about the actors having to do that well, the, the straight scene with Thomas near the start of the film the is se- very, having very sex. full on. Totally. And, you know, there's a, we see a, an erect penis. A penis shot, mm-hmm. which I, is that, I mean, what's what certificate are you supposed to have for an erect penis shot? Um, I, mean, I think you have to be 18. Okay. Yeah. Rated R in America. Okay. So, I thought it wasn't allowed. <laughs> I thought it wasn't allowed. I wasn't sh- I was like, oh. Which we tried to pause on the erect penis as well, because we missed that. <laughs> it is a very fleeting erect it's penis, it has fleeting. to be said. Do you, I mean, what outside of the sex scenes, which I've, I think takes over the narrative of yeah, all the story? I was thinking, watching it again this time round, because there's three or two separate ones. Three, isn't there? I get maybe there's the sort of reasoning behind it is to show how intense the passion is and then obviously how that all goes away. The three separate moments, it's only like, we kind of get that now. Yeah. Um, but that's what I was when I saw it in the cinema, I was like, again. But I, I don't think in the cinema, I didn't really clock it as much as watching it now, sort of having known a little bit more of the background mm. and whether it would be a completely different film if it didn't have any of that. Have any of you seen Nymphomaniac Volumes 1 and 2 by I Lars von Trier? I purposely have not no. seen it. I do yeah. not recommend it. Yeah. But this that's a very similar experience. Yeah. I wondered about that. The, yeah. Those scenes feel extremely intrusive. And minute for minute, as with this film, they aren't as, as prominent as you might think, but they dominate your mind. Yeah. And it, the whole thing becomes about that. And I think if you took all of the sex scenes out of it, of course you would lose this supposed passion. I mean, I personally didn't really buy into that, but you would lose that. But maybe then you would have had the germ of an, in, and I use the word germ advisedly, <laughs> uh, the, the germ of an interesting film about first love mm. that would elevate it beyond what I thought was quite a superficial exploration of, of, of being gay. Because mm. we talked about other films who aren't that it seems to have been like a ra- rise of LGBT films, uh, romance drama films, and myself and Helen found it difficult to think of like a straight romance film that was just a drama, not not without the rom com um, aspect <laughs> to it. And someone brought to us um, Before Sunrise. Oh, yes. I love that yeah. trilogy. But apart from that, we you have Moonlight, you have um, Call Me by Your Name, yeah. uh, God's Own Country, God's Own Country. Um, which are really, really powerful stories. And those are kind of sex light compared to the perception of, of this. Mm. Um, Carol and yeah. what was the film I said before? Um, Miseducation of Cameron Post. Um, although that's less a romance, it's more about... More about the coming out yeah. kind of experience and homophobia. So I, don't, I, I agree with you, Viv. I don't think you needed to, and Helen, I don't think you needed to have the um, up-close nature of the, of the sex scenes there to portray the passion and, and what, what, what happens between two people as they're going through this... When I think of something like Sex Sex Education, mm. the, the TV series on Netflix, mm. and how briefly uh, uh, extreme uh, and explicit sex is portrayed there, are very fragmentary ideas, it's more of an impression, yeah. but they don't shy away from exactly what's going on, and it's, it's very open and graphic in the discussion of it, and it's all kinds of different sexualities, and it's a real... It feels very intimate and honest depiction of what it is like to be a teenager. And it's got that tinge of comedy. Mm. Whereas this, I felt, was showing too much and with no sense of humour. And 
one of the things, and Rosie, you can talk, tell about this because you have done this when yeah, you yeah. were a young, young <laughs> teenage lesbian. You know, there must be lots of hum- humorous moments and silliness and um, laughing and awkwardness, and there was none of that. I guess so, but I, I think for don't a lot you have of, a bit of a laugh? This is very, well, I, it's I a think, very French film. Though, I, yeah, it's, it's a very yeah. French film, but I, I mean, I think as a lesbian. You don't really have a laugh until you're in your 30s and 40s and you feel very comfortable. Um, you know, obviously the world is changing, but I think it is a fairly universal experience for queer women, you know, kind of beaten down by the double forces of homophobia and sexism. Um, sorry to get all gloomy about all this, but, you know, actually my teenage years and my 20s were awful. They right. were pretty relentlessly bad. And I, I have, I've had a brilliant time since I started comedy in my mid-30s, and that's <laughs> saved my life, really. You know, if I'm really being honest about this, I have a really fun and lovely life now. But probably up until my late 20s, I felt very excluded from the world and very isolated and very lonely. And... Um, I know that is a, a universal experience for tons and tons of gay women. So I think the sort of sadness, the intensity, the losing yourself in books and and maybe talking in a slightly pretentious highbrow way about, about art um, is, you know, when I first came to London, you know, after I graduated, I did go to art exhibitions and did look at Picasso and, you know, I, I did kind of get into art because... I wanted to sort of somehow see my pain reflected. Um, so I, I don't think it is unrepresentative of that, you know, the terrible burden of feeling that you're different to the rest of the people in your class at school or in, in your year at college and so on. I uh, think I think it is it is quite tough, um, you know, and, and I think things are changing and we, we have much more open discussion about sexuality now, fortunately. But, yeah, I think it is tough. And I think the thing for me this time watching it was, like I said before, that Adele just never seemed to have a smooth ride of it with anyone. <laughs> oh, and when, like, the first time going into the gay into a lesbian club and everyone's like oh you're 15 yeah. you're just what are you doing here you've got no reason to be here and what else? but you it's want just... to be around people who are like you yeah like, exactly that's what, but then that's be, what you really really want but being rejected by the people who yeah, you want to be around yeah, that must yeah. have been super tough so that's she's super tough. ostracized by her friends at school after, admittedly after that scene yeah but then yeah. she in while she, she was in the club she's ostracized by the people in in that in that bar with her and, and like, then even when she is together with them and never really fitting in with her, with and her friends, friends yeah it's uh so, yeah, oh, it you're a t- tricky, you but... want to be a teacher oh yeah you're, but i think the um you know sort of <laughs> don't do it the break you know talking about the intensity of the sex scenes i for me the other scene that stood out to me from the, the first time i'd seen it back in 2013 was the breakup scene mm. you know it's, and, and it's just snotty and cryy and is this in the cafe you mean in the cafe and i just think that scene is incredibly powerful um and probably more powerful than any of the sex scenes or anything that has gone before but i really think that is a very visceral you know i think it's one of the most kind of real and raw breakup scenes i've ever seen um should we head over to the scores guys and keep on obviously talking about this on the way through Welcome to the FlixWatcher spreadsheet of dreams. All of the scores are out of five. You may have decimal places if you wish. And we will start with you, um, Rosie, with the recommendability, please. Um, <laughs> well, there are obviously some people. I, I mean, I wouldn't recommend it to my father or my girlfriend's mother. Um, but I would recommend it to tons and tons of my friends who I know would would enjoy this and find it really relatable. So I'd say four. Viv. Oh, I'm just so I, I want to, I don't want to give a spoiler a spoiler alert. I just want to give it a zero in all categories. That was my default. Um but having listened to I knew that Rosie would have a very eloquent defense and that I would enjoy hearing what it's like to watch that film through her eyes. So in respect of that, um, I'm going to give it a 1.5. That's quite a big jump from zero to 1.5. Helen. So it's it's so tricky, this film, um, because I remember when I saw it, I was just blown away by it. I just thought they were great and how, like, I'd never seen a film 
like that before and I never probably never will mm. I don't think there'll be anything like that but then trying to kind of watch it now um and it's it's not just the way that he kind of treated those two actresses but there's also stories about how he treated everyone else on set yeah. and it just mm. it does make when you're watching it it does have that kind of effect it. a little bit so it is kind of hard but it is how a does, really striking piece of filmmaking though how does it compare to watching films of uh, actors and directors who were in, who were caught up in the me too kind of thing now as well so i don't like, think i've revisited many of them other than ones that maybe we've done. So if you were to watch American Beauty and see Kevin Spacey in there, what how that how yeah, see, would you be, is, would that be like struggling? I don't think I'd taken outside of what you think about the film. You know, I, I, there's absolutely no way I'd rewatch that now. Mm. I think it depends on also how much of a feature that character is. If you're a director behind the film, then that's it's very difficult to you know extract it from that. But then we saw we watched Seven. Kevin Spacey's in that, but Smith plays a, a lot smaller role, it. so it's not really that kind of thing. But with Weinstein, we watched um, recently Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill Hunting, and obviously he's is the worst of the worst. But then he's the producer behind his film, so not necessarily involved in this kind of thing. But with Abdul Kashish, eight hundred hours of filming to produce a three-hour film, and we heard that I read that the that scene where they first kind of see each other, that ten-second scene, was like shot over like six hours or something something crazy it's, it's just to do that it's very obsessive mm. kind of sort of voyeurism that he had over them for for that shooting period um well 10 hours for 10 days to record those those sex scenes yeah and also it is very much the kind of like the male gaze the how the, the male viewer would want to watch the sex scenes yeah. and the th the things that he's kind of picked out are very male things. Um, Go on, give so it a zero. Yeah, what's the score? The thing is, I can't give it a zero because I think if you've if you've never seen it and you've kind of you're thinking that oh, I've got an interest in seeing it, even if it's just because you want to see what a thirteen minute sex scene is like, <laughs> or if because this this is one of the films that I had probably seen Leia Sadu in for the first time and I really like her as an actress mm. so if I'd maybe not seen this I might not have seen her other work and I, I do think she's great um I think you would have seen her other work because it would have been in maybe. passing I don't know but I'm more now Look out after for her. this I was more likely to go oh I actually I really like her I will I sure. will see that on the basis of her um so yeah I'm gonna mm, it's really tricky I'm gonna go for a 3.7 Oh, <laughs> that was a long three point seven. Um, because it's really injected by myself. The thing is, had, had we recorded this, you know, the week after I'd come out of the cinema, seeing it back in two thousand and thirteen, I would have given it a five. Yeah. But how much? So how much of that is seeing it in retrospect for the second time? How much of that is with the added layer of Kashish's um, intrusions into the? filming process i don't i think it was more watching it at home having seen it before mm. allowed me to kind of step back a little bit right whereas whereas in the cinema because it, it's so big and it was more the things that up until she meets her there's there's so much blue around her and there's so many things that mm. pop out and they have this whole thing where they talk about um like chance meetings and things like that and she meets her and it's a chance meeting and that kind of dominates and then at the end there's the whole thing about she misses the chance with that other guy because she runs off so there's all those other things and there's the whole thing about how the what the foods they eat um are all related to social class and you know the, the meal that she has with uh, emma's parents is all oysters and when oh, she goes yes. home mm -hmm. she has the meatballs so it's all about class yes, and that's it's all interesting too yeah. about how when well, Emma dyes her hair natural. That's when the romance dies. So mm -hmm. it's it's all those motifs, things that I really liked in the yeah, first I time. Yeah, I all that. Yeah, but yeah, I don't know. I think it was it was more the kind of you know the hours of footage and it is you know the bit where she's eating the spaghetti. I think is I really like, but also having the camera like on you for every minute is a yeah. bit like celebrity TV. But I do still think it does still have those things with the blue and things that I did like. 
I'm going to go for 3.5 here. Um, These liked, are ridiculously high scores. I liked it a lot better <laughs> this time than I thought I was going to. And I hadn't seen it. Well, it's going to time with the repeat viewing score. But I left I left the cinema the first time thinking, yeah, it's it's fine. Um, I can kind of see why it won the Palm Door. I'm glad that the uh, both Adele and Leia got recognised as well as part of yeah. the of the yeah, uh, Palm good. Door as part of that. Um, so that's a, that's a nice step. But I one thing I really liked this time is not you talk. I really liked the the big kind of face shots and how it was it was shot this time. This is something I didn't take away. Maybe I didn't remember from the previous time. Um, and I did like the interactions between them. I thought whilst some of the speech patterns and what they're talking about were ridiculous. Um, I'm, you see that so much. In, that is French people for you, really. It's, it's French, it's Americans. Woody Allen does that a lot with his with his actors. Yeah. And what you do when and, you're trying to impress someone for the first time. What, you, yeah. Dawson's Creek was like that. No one talks like they did in Dawson's Creek. Um, yeah, 3.5. Repeat viewing score. Rosie. Um well, I, oh. I I actually enjoyed it even more the second time of watching it, and I possibly would watch it again. So I, just to kind of keep it, uh, try and save this film from such a terrible feeling it's going to get from Viv, I'm going to go five. Because <laughs> I loved it on repeat. Viewing. Defensive really scoring. How, how, do you think, how, okay. how, how frequently do you think you're going to rewatch it? Um, well, I, I, I actually hardly ever rewatch anything. Sure. Um, it usually the only reason I rewatch something is if I didn't understand it, which was the reason I rewatched Inception. But there are very, very, very few films apart from that and E.T. that I think, which is a, a timeless classic, probably one of the best films ever. Um, is it? <laughs> yes, <laughs> it is. Um, is it though? <laughs> it is. Um, I. <laughs> I, I rarely watch things again. So for me to to love something even more second time round is is quite something actually, and to really ca- connect with it even more. So yeah, Viv. Well, I would pay money, any amount of money you want, never to have to watch that ever again. I just can't see any reason to ever watch that again. Um, if I knew nothing about the director and I knew that. They'd have received wonderful treatment throughout the shoot mm. and he'd behaved like a father to them, <laughs> as a nice father. Yeah. Then I still uh. wouldn't want to watch it again. However, for the boyfriend who cries, oh, uh, I, I'll give it a 0.5. For the boyfriend that cries, Helen. So this is when I'm going to say it is three hours long. <laughs> it is a long film to rewatch. And I don't know, did I get that much more watching it from the second time round? I think the the only thing that I got from it the second time round was a slight uncomfortable feeling, (laughs) which, um, you know, had I not rewatched it, I would have been like, oh, yeah, Blues Worms coming, it's great, you should all watch it. Um, I'm going to give it a one. I think I don't I don't think I'm going to go back to it um, again. Yeah, I don't. I'm. I can't see myself going back to it again unless someone invites me on a podcast. I'm going to watch Blues of Warmest Color. Um, I think I've got enough from it on the second time. I think it's w- worth a repeat viewing. Maybe I'll pump it up to 1.5 because I think it's worth watching again um, a few years later. But I can't see myself watching it much more um, in the future. Small screen score, Rosie. Um, I'll go 4.5. Still worked really well for me. Viv? This is a tricky one for me because I was seeing it for the first time on the small screen. So hmm, I think I'll have to mark it down, surprisingly, um, because I, from what Helen was saying, I think it does play a lot better. Mm-hmm. Like the, the, the very few qualities that this film has are suited for big cinema viewing. Which are you is feeling like, okay here, Rosie? Sorry, Rosie. I think Rosie, Rosie and I know each other. We know each other. <laughs> exactly. um, I think, yeah, the qualities that it has, that's why it won the Palm Door because, yeah. you know, people win the Palm Door because everybody in the in the screening room rises to their feet in a standing ovation because they admire the filmmaking so much. Uh, and it's a very much a filmmaker's award. And that is very relevant in terms of large screen and small screen. So... Uh, it's a one. <laughs> Helen. So it, it it is a very different experience sitting at home. I, f- I felt more uncomfortable watching it at home than I did in the cinema because you do kind of feel a little bit like a bit more of a perv 
<laughs> maybe um, because you you're watching in your home and you know you've you're kind of like on your own and whereas in the cinema you kind of have to sit there and you can choose not to look away or you can choose to applaud or, or things so it is quite a, a different um experience and it it does the, the cinematic things i think have less of an impact watching it on a smaller screen and i don't know it was just i felt a bit a bit weird watching it on a tv this side um so i'm not sure i'm gonna go down down the middle 2.5 it's, it's interesting because in a small screen i took away more from it in terms of how it was shot this time round. i think maybe i was a bit embarrassed in the first time i was like what am i doing here and still how much is left um but i enjoyed it more the second time round. so i think it does work all right in a small screen um probably is better in a big screen though i'm gonna go for a four because i think if i was to watch if i was the second rewatch was to be in a, a bigger screen i think it would have been a nicer experience generally okay oh engagement score rosie um and this is sort of how drawn in you are how engaged exactly, you're not yeah. going to look at your phone and well obviously you're not going to look at your phone when there's a film with subtitles um and you that's can't, true, you can't that's... eat spaghetti <laughs> um so i would say five when you're in it, you're in it. When you're in it, yeah, yeah, you've got to immerse yourself in it. Well, I'm going to be generous here, um, <laughs> and uh, I do want to <laughs> applaud the uh, the two lead actresses sure. because yeah. they are the thing that makes this engaging. And I think that because of it winning the Palme d'Or and the it's incredibly difficult shoot that they went through, this was a huge moment for both of their careers, and they need to receive a bit of a yeah kudos for that so 2.5 <laughs> that's a that's, that's a massive, that's a massive it is saying it was going to be a zero yeah, yeah. it's really yeah <laughs> built up um so if you weren't aware yes it is subtitled so it is very hard to half-heartedly watch this film and still know what's going on so even though i'd i'd seen it before if you're not listening, if you're not listening properly to what they're saying, then you're, you're just not going to get the film, and you're not mm. going to get anything about them. So a five. Um, I think the subtitles, as much as I love them, um, it means that you have to be like switched on to watch it, and that for me meant I couldn't. I was like, oh, should I watch this tonight? Should I watch it tomorrow night? And in fact, I ended up watching that in three stints because I just I was sometimes a bit tired of, and I just kind of ducked out of it. Um, so I'm going to go two point five here. Which I gives... speak French and it's no better in French. <laughs> let you know that. But there is a really weird um, tick that Adele has. I don't know. I think a lot of the dialogue was improvised. Um, and she says, whenever she has to evaluate anything, she always says, c'est trop bien. C'est mm. trop bien. She says <laughs> it about food. She says it about relationships. She says it about the way that somebody looks. C'est trop bien. It's too good. And that, that was one of the most interesting things about the entire film for me. <laughs> because it's a very interesting choice of words. Is that something and you think might always, be particular to Lil? It, it was translated in the subtitles as, it's great. Yeah. And it doesn't really mean okay. that. No. And it's, it's a very sort of insecure thing to say. Like, it's almost too good. I do like watching subtitle films and seeing the difference in what is written versus what yes. is actually said. And like, even when you don't understand the language, you're like, that's not what you said. <laughs> I can, in Latin... Um, there's one character called Asterix, but I called him Snoopy in the subtitles. <laughs> like, what the hell are you playing at? Just call him Asterix. Um, anyway, so that gives us an overall score of 2.98125, which I think is quite good considering Viv's outlook on it in the first place. But we always reach out to the guys on Twitter to get your opinion on it before we go into the record. We had a decent response from this. Um, Rosie, do you want to take us with the first one? Dominic Holder's, uh, Dominic gone, Holder's over, gone over two parts, I think. says, intriguing film, beautifully shot and beautifully paid played sorry a great character study of young love yes it is a little voyeuristic at times but a tremendously unflinching realistic portrayal that is from the director's brother (laughs) (laughs) i'd give it four brilliant films always lose one star from me if despite their brilliance i don't really have any burning desire to watch again see also the revenant as a completely different example viv can you take the next one please So the contrarians say 4.5 out of 5 stars, unflinching look at young love and young sex, fantastic performances, heartbreaking story. Very interesting reuse of the word unflinching. And Ah. that idea of flinch, like it does make you want to flinch. I think that's really interesting. Helen, Um, do you want to say the last one? um, So this is from Top Film Tip. 
schoolgirl experiences emotionally astute and physically euphoric first love in oyster eating raw romance hashtag blue is the warmest color character-led affecting bittersweet drama and then we've got four scissors out of five <laughs> blue dresses <laughs> Loving, loving that. That's uh, that's Ben, a former a former guest, and loves his loves his language in tweets. That was a very slightly easier one to read. Yeah, Sometimes it, they can be a bit more tongue-twistery. Um, Viv and Rosie, can you sign off by telling everyone where we can find you online? Just remind everyone where we can find your tickets and your books yeah, and your podcasts I, and yeah, everything like I'm that. On Twitter at Rosie Wilby, I've got a book out called "Is Monogamy Dead," which looks at relationships and love. And I did a whole survey asking what counts as cheating and that kind of thing, and what secrets couples keep from each other. Twelve people confessed to secretly giving themselves the best portion of food, uh, which was interesting. Uh, so find out all the results to my survey in the book. And the Breakup Monologues podcast is on all good podcast platforms: Spotify, iTunes etc there are two seasons out in full and uh, we've just started season three and kingsplace.co.uk is the place to go for tickets for the shows on 11th of october and 8th of november and if you've missed those there will be more and there's also at breakup monologues on instagram and yes we will have more shows in 2020 as well um, we usually have an annual sort of valentine's eve show on the 13th of february at poplar union in east london Viv? And I am on Twitter and Instagram at Viv Grosskop. I'm just going just gonna to follow you now. Hold on. You're yep. there on the screen. V I V G R O S K O P. Rather strange name, meaning lively fat head. That's the Yiddish fans out there. And my book is called How to Own the Room Women and the Art of Brilliant Speaking. And on Instagram, every day uh, for 2019 and possibly for 2020, if I'm feeling bold enough um i showcase a room owning woman uh, somebody who is really spectacular in the way that they communicate and i do that every single day and analyze how they do that and they're fully clothed and not scissoring <laughs> so if you want to break from uh, something that makes your eyeballs tingle come check out my instagram has this been imprinted on your mind now for the past since you watched I'm it i'm quite traumatized right traumatized right. yeah traumatisé c'est trop bien okay thanks so much for coming on bye Enjoyed this episode of Flixwatcher Podcast? Why not leave us a five-star review on iTunes? You can also follow us at FlixWatcherPod on Twitter and we're at FlixWatcher on Instagram. Thanks as always to the mighty people for their mighty, mighty tunes and Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. If you're looking to get your podcast edited as sweet as this, get in touch with Ben and that's Rockwood, R-O-K-K Wood audio tell them flicks what you sent you you just heard a stripped media production